Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, season two, episode 27. Ian Happ Extended. Don't forget to listen, download, review, most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, Fly the W on Facebook, or email us. Fly the W670 at gmail.com. Crowley, we got breaking news. Why don't you uh, give it to everybody? Something we talked a little bit about in episode number 26. Yeah, this one was an absolute stunner. Michael Cerami of Bleacher Nation scoops the big dog, scoops Rosenthal, scoops them all, <laughs> gets the report. The first thing he said is that the Cubs and Ian Happ are making progress, and literally 10 minutes later, Ian Happ is $61 million richer on a three-year extension. So the deal will run from 2024 to 2026. So you're talking about $20 million a year for the next three years. So you will see Ian Happ, he of the Roasters Coffee and all that stuff for the next four seasons in left field. Yeah, um, my first initial reaction is great. Good for the Cubs. Good for Ian Happ. I think it's a um, intelligent spending type of a contract, if you will. I think it's good for um, both sides. Uh, $20 million a year seems a little bit like a lot, but if he has a good season, which I know everybody listening and you and I hope he does, he would be probably the second best outfield prospect available on the free agent market. In the oh, there, no doubt he, he would be the second best free agent on the, on the outfield market. And so, you know, they went for the sure thing and it's not going to cost them a ton, especially with the money they have coming off the books. Um, I was shocked because if you remember uh, prior to the season, Nico got his extension. Ian did not. And, and Jed kind of made that big deal earlier about not doing negotiations once the season starts and actually not wanting to do them even right before spring training ends. And so I remember when we talked on the episode uh, right before opening day with Nico getting his extension, you know, Ian Happ was, you know, kind of just sounding very, didn't sound like a guy that was about to get it done, a deal done. You know, he sounded more like a guy that was, I'm just going to enjoy every moment of it. And that's it. Right. He sounded like a guy who thought the writing was on the wall or he's an incredible poker player, if anything. Right. Yeah. And not only that, you know, he's a union rep. Okay. And so I, I'm, I'm a union guy, big union guy, and he's a union rep. And, and you're surprised because you're right there at free agency. You, you have it, you know, you're, you're, you're nine months oh, away from free right. agency. He's and, a two foot, two foot putt. Yep. And not only that, like, like you said earlier, you know, you got Shohei Otani and then everybody else. And no one's even close to Ian Happ. Like no one's close to Otani, but Ian Happ is, is another guy that was far away above what's going to be out there in the free agent market. So, you know, he, he looked to stand to make some big money, but, uh, you know, he took the sure, sure thing. Trust me, $60 million makes any one of us happy. Right. Uh, we'll, we would take half that, right? We would even take a quarter of that. But, you know, now all of a sudden, the, the question and, and the thing that surprised me that we have been talking about for a very long time is the question about the prospects. Um, with the prospects that you have down there, like 
most of your top prospects are all outfielders. Brennan Davis, P. Crow Armstrong, Alexander Canario, Owen Casey. Those are all guys with a bunch of other periphery guys that you never know if one of them is going to break out or nothing. But now all of a sudden, you know, you can argue maybe there's one spot, maybe two spots if you want to kind of start playing around with the DH. But, you know, if you're uh, Brennan Davis or if you're PCA or you're any one of those guys, you're, you're the chance of you making it to the majors with the Cubs just got a little bit more difficult. Right. I would imagine that one of those two guys that you just named, Crowley, are the key piece in a trade for a really front-of-the-line pitcher if the Cubs think they're in a position to actually do something. Yeah, that you know that's what you have prospects for is, number one, they're cheap, and so you can put them in your, your lineup, and they, they produce, and you have them under your control, so you don't have to worry about salary. Or the other thing you want to do with them is use them as trade chips. So maybe Absolutely. that's the direction that, uh, that that Jed's going to go. We're going to see the competition just got really interesting. So, you know, good for Ian. Good day for, you know, for, for Cub fans, you know, who wanted some continuity, who, want, you know, who got tired of watching all their favorite guys leave. Well, you got one that's going to be around for a while. And, and so you, you, you have the real beginnings of a new core with Ian Happ and Nico Horner. And Dansby Swanson, Swanson, right? Yeah. Jameson Tyon, so. Seiya Suzuki, they're all on the same, they're all on the same time frame now. So as we're uh, recording this, Crowley, the Cubs just wrapped up the three-game series with the Mariners. Let's uh let's get into it. Let's talk about uh let's talk about game number one, which uh did you attend game one, I believe? I did attend right? game one, yes, that is correct. So that was the first night game of the season. Beautiful weather, huh, Dustin? What a beautiful night to be at Wrigley Field. Wow, yep. And it was the first time that the Cubs were able to use their brand new LED lights that were installed in the offseason. And I got to tell you, as, as somebody that's gone to many, many a night games, it truly was amazing to see the difference. So really, a, a, truly a difference, yes? Yes, it, it was. Imagine like if you went to like a play, right, or a musical. It seems like the grandstand was darker, but the field was so much brighter. So gotcha. from from that standpoint, and so... It was a really, especially, so I got to see it in person on Monday and I watched it on Tuesday and, 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 you know, with all this new high def TV and stuff, I think it just made for an amazing picture. Yeah, it looked really cool. And then if, as we talk about the game, what happens when they win a game, what they do with the lights is pretty cool. I don't know if you heard the the caller on the Mully and Haw show, I believe it was on Tuesday, that had had, right? It had He had had a couple beers, a Long Island, and maybe a shot. And the uh, lights didn't look much different to him. <laughs> I did I hear about he called the right be- I think I he right before I me. think he called right before you. Yeah, yep. that's what yep. it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I noticed a difference right away. I thought it was really cool. And so Drew Smiley was on the bump, hoping to shake off his last start. Pitched well. He went five innings, gave up only one run. Didn't give up a hit until the fourth inning. But then that looked like it was going to be a disaster. With one out, Ty France doubled. Eugenio Suarez walked and Teoscar Hernandez hit a single and the bases were loaded with one out. Tommy Hadovy came out for a quick chat and the next batter, A.J. Pollock, hit a sack fly, giving the Mariners an early one nothing lead. But Smiley got Sam Haggerty to fly out to end the threat and limit the damage to one run. And I think, Dustin, I know Pat Hughes always brings this up, getting out of that jam, kind of you know, giving up just one run, seemed to shift momentum the Cubs' way. No doubt about it. Ian Happ led off the inning with a walk. He stole second, then ended up on third on an error on the throw by the catcher. Cody Bellinger will double to tie the game at one. Trey Mancini single to put runners at the corners and will come around to score on an Eric Hosmer single to give the Cubs a 2-1 to one lead. 
Unfortunately, a Patrick Wisdom strikeout and Jan Gomes double play ended the threat. I don't know. I wanted your opinion on this. Adbert Alzali replaced Smiley in the sixth and was very efficient, getting four quick outs before being replaced by Mark Leiter. I thought Alzali was cruising. I know they worry about his righty-lefty splits, but I don't know. I, I, I was a little bit hesitant about the move. I thought, I thought about that. I thought about that as well. I also find it interesting that they're not um, just solely using Adbert in certain innings. Um, right. It almost felt kind of a, a high leverage, important moment, and they went to him. Right, right, and, right. And, and then later on in this series, they're going to go to him in another big moment, but that was in the eighth inning. And so right. I like the fact that he's not just penciled in where he is a clean seventh inning guy with a lead kind of thing. Um, but I tell you, and I, you, you thought the last time Smiley was in that it was okay to leave him in. I wanted him out a little sooner, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna double guess this. It's going right. to end up working out for the Cubs, so I'm not going to double guess it. But I understand. I do understand where you're coming from. I think, I think Smiley had a couple more outs in him. I think my concern with Alzlai is he was just cruising, and so I just wanted to let him keep going because that way you don't have to keep burning through bullpen guys, and you're going to see how right. that's going to come and back. We're going to, to find out. Him. We're going to yeah. find out that that might bite you. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Absolutely right, Crowley. So there's a big moment in the eighth inning that shows the baseball IQ of a guy like Dansby Swanson. If you're someone that just reads the box scores, you're going to miss something like this, right? Brad Boxberger's on the mound. Cooper Hummer leads off with a double. The next batter, J.P. Crawford, hit one that looked like he was going to go up the middle. Swanson got it, but he fired to third to gun down Crawford. And and I thought that was just a brilliant play to get the lead runner and kind of, you know, give yourself a little breathing room there on that one. Asked about it after the game, David Ross replied, that's why the guy wins gold gloves. Just very high baseball IQ. High, super high. And you couldn't be you couldn't be more right about the comment about if you didn't watch the game, you would not have picked up on that play. And that was one of a handful of really key plays in that game. Absolutely. Ninth inning, Michael Fulmer came on to save it, but with one out, Jarek Kelnick, we're going to talk about him again. That guy has some pop. He crushed one off the right field scoreboard to tie the game. No doubter. I, I had to put my W flag. I didn't take it. I just had it out of the bag, but I didn't have it out. <laughs> but I had to put my W flag back into the bag. And then that takes us to extra innings where Keegan Thompson is going to take the mound and Cal Riley would be the Manford man to start the inning at second, first extra inning game of the year. Keegan Thompson walked the first man he faced, never a good thing. Cooper Homo putting runners at first and second. But then J.P. Crawford attempted to bunt the runners over. This is another one that didn't show up in the box score. Patrick Wisdom made an incredible athletic kind of diving play on that bunt to get the first out of the inning, which I thought was big. Then Thompson walks Julio Rodriguez to load the bases. Please stop walking people, bullpen guys. Um, but Basilo went out, but Keegan struck out Ty France. And then Cub killer Eugenio Suarez at the plate. He grounds it to Patrick Wisdom, who steps on the bag, and the game is tied. No runs score. So in the bottom of the 10th, Nick Magical replaces Jan Gomes as the Manford man. Pitcher Matt Brash made a move to second, but I don't think he was expecting Magical to be on the move. He had no clue that Magical had started running the second Brash lifted his legs, and it looked like Suarez was asleep at the switch because he was a little bit in and to the left of the bag, and so it took him a little while to get there, so he wasn't in a good position to receive the throw, so Magical made it safely. It was unbelievable. 
Well, now the question is, and we argued about this on the Mully and Haw show. Um, I agreed with Madrigal that he saw something. They saw something on the video and knew that uh, Brash, his move was super slow. And the other guys thought that they were just shocked that anybody would pull that kind of crap at that point. And that's why Madrigal was able to get from second to third in that situation. I think the answer lies somewhere in between. I think you're okay. both right there because right. magical, di- magical, <laughs> magical did talk about watching video beforehand. And so he right. knew what he was looking for. And then at the same time, when Brash turned around, it, he was looking to throw it to second. It took him like he had to do a double take when he saw magical, you know, halfway to third. And so that just threw everything off. And like I said, uh, even, even Suarez was caught asleep at the switch. So Tucker Barnhart's going to strike out with and with one out and a runner at third. Nico Horner comes to the plate. He flicks a single into right field. Little slider going away. Flicks it the other way. Just perfect. Cubs had their first walk off win of the season. Nico had his first walk off hit of his career. Cubs take game one three two. And Dustin, like you were talking about earlier, totally unexpected. They're playing go Cubs go. The fans are celebrating, but the lights are doing this crazy strobe effect during the celebration, and then they made W's all around the ballpark in the lights. It was very cool. Right. Now now they're saying light the W. Instead of fly the W, the nighttime, we're going to say light the W. Yeah, no podcast better take that title. So um, <laughs> after, after the game, Jan Gomes found a cowboy hat, which, of course, just this is such a baseball thing. Supposedly finds a, a, a cowboy hat in the clubhouse, put it on Nico's head while he gave the postgame interview, indicating – he was the new sheriff in town. But on the pitching side, like Smiley it. gave like up. It. Yeah. Smiley gave up five innings pitch, gave up two hits, one run, one walk, seven Ks. Alzali, lighter, Boxberger uh, pitch, scoreless relief. Fulmer was charged with the blown save, and Keegan Thompson gets the win for that. Gutsy performance in the 10th. The Cubs scored three runs on eight hits, no errors. Nico was the hero of the day, going three for five, game running RBI. Eric Hosmer was two for three with an RBI, and Cody Bellinger, one for four with an RBI. So the Cubs take game one. Fly that W. So we get to game two and, and Dustin, you and I, we've been talking about this a lot, not wanting Master Buani or Mancini to be playing in right field. And I was banging the drum hard for Nelson Velasquez. Yes, you were. Did not understand why that kid was not on the team. And next thing you know, he's called up from AAA. Javier Assad, we saw him struggle in two appearances that just really badly was sent down. Now, Velasquez didn't start on Monday. He came in at the very end of the game to play defense, but he was the starting lineup on Tuesday night, and good thing he was because he had himself one hell of a game. Yes, now, he did. Now, Drew Smiley, like Drew Smiley the previous game, Hayden Wesniski was looking to bounce back from a bad start. Unfortunately for Hayden, he had an even worse start. In the first, he gave up a one-out walk to Ty France, and then Cub killer Eugenio Suarez hit a two-run blast to put the Mariners up 2 nothing. But the wheels really came off in the second inning. That's a combination of a lack of command, sloppy defense, and an umpire squeezing hating, resulting in the Mariners scoring five runs. Trey Mancini had a fielding error. Dansby Swanson had a throwing error. Hayden walked two batters and gave up three singles and six runs before David Ross mercifully pulled him after throwing 64 <laughs> pitches in one and a third inning. And it was the mercifully, worst possible. Mercifully, as you mercifully. said. Worst possible situation because Roth really needed some length out of Wesniski after having to use five bullpen arms the night before. Michael Rucker came in, but I think he did a good job putting that fire out. I do want to show this. This is one of my favorite Twitter sites. It's called Ump Scorecards. 
Adrian Johnson was the umpire yesterday, and he was just awful. So the average MLB umpire is accurate 94% of the time and consistent 94% of the time. Adrian Johnson was four percentage points below average on accuracy and five percentage points behind consistency. Two of the three calls that were among the worst calls he made were against Hayden Wesniski. I'm not going to blame the umpire for Hayden not having great control, but when you're a young kid and maybe you don't have your best stuff, the last thing you need is an umpire who's not making good calls. Right, you're right. And we had Tommy Hadovy on today with Mully and Haw on the score, and he just said the kid's just trying too hard. But walks will definitely doom you. There's no doubt about that. Right. Now, the Cubs put up a run in the second on an RBI single by Jan Gomes to score Cody Bellinger. But it was the third inning when the Cubs offense erupted. So you have to imagine, Cubs are down 7-1. to And all of a sudden, Dansby starts off the inning with a single. Ian Happ pops out. Trey Mancini hits his first Cub homer to make it 7-3. Wisdom walks Homer, uh, Hosmer and Gomes single to load the bases for Nelson Velasquez. The Nelson Velasquez I have been complaining about for the last three weeks not being on this team. He hits a grand slam to the left field bleachers to put the Cubs ahead 8-7, and Wrigley was rocking. Cubs oh my scored gosh, one was more. it rocking? Oh my <laughs> gosh, was it rock? Crowley, it was got to the point, and I'm I watch Bulls games because I need to watch Bulls games for work. I don't really watch the NBA unless it's the playoffs outside of the Bulls. I almost I almost turned on. There was a play-in game last night in the NBA between the uh, Heat and the Atlanta Hawks, and I almost went from the Cubs game to that. Thank goodness I didn't change the channel. Well, Dustin, check out this one from Jordan Bastion talking about the third inning. 52 pitches, 13 batters, 8 runs, 8 hits, 5 singles, 2 homers, 1 grand slam, 1 double, 1 infield single, 1 walk, 1 hits batsman, and 1 stolen base. That and made for one in a pear fun tree. inning. <laughs> what, what a game. Not only that, Dansby had 2 singles in the same inning. Now same the inning, Cub- yeah. yeah, the Cubs would score 2 more times in the 5th, 3 more in the 6th. They would go on to win this game 14-9. to Little fun fact for you, the Cubs became the first MLB team since September 7th, 2001 to trail by seven runs by the second inning and lead by the end of the third. So that was amazing. But, you know, Dustin, I talked about Wrigley rocking um, with that grand slam by Nelson Velasquez. You know, a lot of people, a lot of fan bases want to lay claim to the best fans in whatever sport. This is, what, the ninth game of the season in April, and you have the entire crowd rocking down seven to three. The place is blowing up, and the fans are going nuts. Larry Hawley from WGN had video from a few blocks from Wrigley after the home yeah, run. Yeah, that was cool. That was and cool. You could hear it from blocks away. There is no fan base better than the Chicago fan base, and I'm willing to put stake that claim with anybody there. Just so awesome to see the fans in it. And I think they all recognize something special is happening at the corner of 1060 West Addison. 
Oh, Crowley, come on. You're not going to get an argument from me on this one. I like to argue with you, but no. I mean, that <laughs> that video that video was awesome. I, I saw that as well on Twitter. Uh, the place was rocking. I jumped off the couch. My kids were yelling and screaming. I texted my wife, who was picking up, uh, doing a pickup. I said, make sure you're, you know, turn on the radio really quick if you're not listening to the game. It was great. And the call, the, the call by Pat and Ron was unbelievable. Coomer did his inner Ric Flair and gave a, woo! <laughs> <laughs> Now, as far as the pitching for the Cubs, Hayden, like I said, 1.1 innings. He gave a five hits, seven runs. Only two were earned, four walks, one home run, zero strikeouts is what I was concerned about, Dustin. You can have a bad game, but, you know, for a strikeout pitcher, that was rough. Um, Michael Rucker, Albert Alzali, Mark Leiter, and Julian Mayerweather all pitched in. They threw 7.2 innings, giving up five hits, two runs, zero walks, and eight Ks. But, again, you had to really burn up the bullpen on that one after having to use them a lot the day before. On offense, the Cubs had 14 runs on 18 hits. How about this, Dustin? Nine for 16 with runners in scoring position. Yeah, a stat that really uh, we we harped on a ton in season one of this podcast. Right. All 10 hitters reached base, and nine out of 10 got a hit. Wisdom was hitless, but he drew two walks. Dansby was four for four with two RBIs, but in a scary moment, he pulled himself from the game before the start of the sixth inning. We know Dansby's an Iron Man who wants to play every single inning of every single game of the season. First report we got out of there was tightness on the left side, and the first thing I'm thinking is oblique. Uh, Cubs Nation's panicking, but after the game, Ross and later on Dansby explained that uh, if you heard the news, uh, Dansby's wife, Mallory Swanson, she plays. she's a professional soccer player for the Chicago Red Stars and for the women's U.S. national team, and she had a devastating injury. She, she had surgery on her knee. Uh, after an exhibition in Ireland to repair a torn patella, he had been up that day since 4 a.m. And, and you know, ball players have their routines. And I'm sure his whole, his, I mean, the fact that he was, you know, he had that air, I was surprised, but he was going four for four. But, you know, it, it kind of all makes sense after the game. So wishing, wishing the Swansons the best. Absolutely. But it was nerve wracking. Couldn't get any info off of Twitter, not getting any info off the broadcast, wondering what in the world was going on. Right. Trey Mancini was two for five with three RBIs. Nico was two for four with two RBIs as well. Nelson Velasquez, star of the game, going three for four with a walk, a grand slam, and a double. Guess who was wearing the cowboy hat after the game? <laughs> Nelson Velasquez. Here's the thing, Dustin. That was the Cubs' third victory of 10 or more runs in 11 games. Remember we said the Cubs wouldn't have a lot of crooked numbers in offense? Right. Maybe we got to change that narrative. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to change it. I'm happy for that trend to continue. So with winning the first two games, they obviously get the series win. They go for the sweep this afternoon. Game three, Wrigley uh, was hot, not because of the weather necessarily, but because of that breaking news we talked about at the start of the podcast, Crowley. Right. Breaks right before the game. Strowman's on the mound who gets people fired up anyway. And then the Cubs get off to an early start, bottom of the first. Uh, Swanson, David Ross, very smart, giving him the day off, letting him rest. No big deal. You got another day off tomorrow. And so I'm, I was absolutely fine with that. Nico is short. Magical is playing second. And those guys are batting one, two. They get singles right away. Hap beats out a double play ball to put runners at the corners. And Cody Bellinger hit a sack fly to make it one nothing. The Mariners are able to come back, though. They get to Strowman in the third inning. J.P. Crawford hit a leadoff double, the first extra base hit of the season given up by Stroke. Julian Rodriguez flied out, moving Crawford to third. 
Ty France walked, and Cubs killer Eugenio Suarez singled to tie up the game, followed by your a guy, Teoscar. Your yeah, guy. My guy. Your guy. You warned everybody. You warned everybody when we previewed this series. <laughs> he, he loves Cubs pitching. He feasts. Teoscar Hernandez singled to put the Mariners ahead 2-1. to one. The Cubs offense really struggled against Logan Gilbert, who's a really good pitcher. You know, give him kudos. But they couldn't get anything going after the first inning. Meanwhile, Brad Boxberger gave up a run in the seventh. Julian Merriweather gave up two back-to-back jacks in the eighth inning, including a 482-foot bomb to center off the bat of Jarek Kelnick. He's the one that tied it up on Monday night in the ninth inning. That 489-foot home run was the longest home run in Wrigley since the StatCast era started in 2015. So yeah, that was he, a monster. he definitely he, he he crushed that ball and then we <laughs> talked about it earlier. He hit one off the scoreboard, uh, a little uh, Schwarber style, if you will. Yeah, and so Stroman pitched six innings. He gave up two runs on five hits, two walks, six Ks. A quality start. Cubs had offense had two runs on five hits. Bellinger was responsible for both runs, the sack fly in the first, and then again Cubs do nothing until the ninth inning when Bellinger hits a solo home run. So you know what? Two out of three versus Seattle. You're talking about four out of six versus Seattle and Texas. So I will take that meatloaf homestand any day of the week. That's right. That's a double play to meatloaf, Crowley. No doubt about it. A meatloaf sandwich, if you will. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, season two, episode 27. Ian Happ extended. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And in this segment, Crawley goes behind enemy lines. He interviews with Blake Harris from ESPN LA and the host of Inside the Ravine podcast for Odyssey Sports. All right, baseball fans, we are here for another segment of Behind Enemy Lines today. Myself, Crawley from Fly the W, is going to be talking a little bit about Cubs with Blake Harris from Inside the Ravines Dodger podcast for Odyssey Sports, and you can find his work on his Substack page. Blake, how's it going? Going, going really well. Excited to uh, talk Dodgers Cubs. That's always ever since I was a kid one of the series I always really look forward to, just for some reason because you have two historic teams. Usually the Cubs fan base always travels well when they come to Dodger Stadium, so those series always have a little extra incentive when they're in town. So looking forward to the series because uh, there's a lot of storylines that Dodgers fans are going to want to be following for this upcoming weekend. I hear you, you know, and and for me, I remember Vince Scully one time reporting on Wrigley Field, describing her as the old dame and the lights as pearls and, you know, fell in love with Vince Scully as any baseball fan would. And then, you know, there was some great matchups in 2016, 2017, as the Cubs went on to win the World Series and as the Dodgers started to really become one of the dominant teams in the NL. And we were, as Cub fans, kind of hoping that we'd have as, you know, do as well as you guys have, but we had to do a little sell off and, now we're trying to come back in, but uh, last year the Cubs and the Dodgers faced each other seven times, and you guys swept the series 7-0. But, but this is a different Cubs team, Blake, since the offseason, so hopefully we can put up a better fight than last season. Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, it'll be interesting to see how the two teams square off again this season compared to what happened last year because you can't really get any better on the Dodgers end. Now, if you're the Cubs side – you would hope that you can improve on that somewhat a bit, but I, I do think it's going to be a much more competitive series uh, this go-around because, like you said, a much better Cubs team than the one that we saw last season. 
Now, the last time I really watched any Dodgers baseball was in the postseason. You guys had the bye and you took on San Diego and it didn't go your way. Um, what kind of moves did the Dodgers make in the offseason? I mean, like you said, there's not much place to go. What, did, what do you think were some notable maybe additions and then also some notable subtractions? Yeah, so I mean, the Dodgers, they've just become accustomed to being that team that every offseason, they make the big moves, they make the big trades, the big signings. But for the Dodgers standards, this was a very, very quiet offseason. Obviously, they lost guys like Trey Turner, Justin Turner, a few guys that ended up on the Cubs that I'm sure we're going to talk about later. But I, the biggest move probably this offseason was bringing back Clayton Kershaw just because he was still on the fence of returning or he was going to retire, or maybe go to the Texas Rangers. So bringing Clayton Kershaw back for another season was obviously the number one move. But outside of that, the Dodgers really just, again, quiet by their standards. They picked up guys like Miguel Rojas, you know, Shelby Miller, guys where I'm sure they're going to contribute at some point this season, but not necessarily, you know, names you come to expect. I guess probably the big splash, the big headline move was the Dodgers signing J.D. Martinez to a one-year deal. He's a former All-Star. Obviously, he won a World Series with the Red Sox a couple seasons ago. So, again, for a lot of other teams, that would be like... You're having a press conference. This is the move of the offseason. But for the Dodgers, a quiet one-year move. Again, a very interesting offseason because clearly they wanted to shed some salary, get under that salary cap, maybe because they want to make a push in 2024 for a mega free agent. But yeah, overall, uh, nothing really else to report on that front from the Dodgers this offseason. Yeah, that's what people are worried about is maybe you guys are shedding salary for the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. That would be something. I heard I I don't know where I saw this. I think it was maybe like a Bleach Report notification, and I don't know if you. I mean, you actually probably did see this the other day. Is that it had the Cubs as a potential sneaky move? Maybe it was like Buster Olney or something. But I saw that the Cubs as a potential sneaky suitor for Shohei. So I thought that was a little interesting because I I didn't even have them on the radar. Yeah, that was Bob a piece by Bob Nightingale, and uh, he had the Cubs down as a sleeper, but we've also heard from uh, John Heyman, who appears on 670 The Score, um, and an Odyssey Baseball Insider, that, that you know, really, it's doubtful. Um, you know, who knows? The, the, the reason Shohei gets kind of thrown around is that the last time when he was entering the market, MLB market, he only wanted to visit West Coast teams as far as being close to Japan, but Chicago was the one team that he did interview with. So we have Seiya Suzuki, who was teammates with him. And, you know, Seiya got injured before the WBC oblique injury. And so he was joking that he was going to try to recruit Shohei here. So who knows where do things are happening? But for the Cubs, they actually did get to spending after a few years of kind of sleepwalking through a couple seasons, you know, in uh, 2021 in the second half, they all the players from the 2016 team pretty much were all uh, – shipped off elsewhere, lost Chris Bryant, lost Anthony Rizzo, lost Javi Baez. This season, Wilson Contreras went to the Cardinals. That's going to be very interesting when he comes to town. That, that rival will be, rivalry will be stoked a little bit more. But uh, the Cubs were in on a shortstop, and so we have Dansby Swanson now. You know, you guys are familiar with him with your battles with the Braves. But, boy, he's really been exciting to watch these first couple uh, series that we've seen him. And then we had a really great shortstop in Nico Horner, but we think he's even going to be better at second base. So just seeing those two guys up the middle has been a lot of fun. The Cubs have a lot of uh, one-year prove-it deals. You know, Trey Mancini uh, from the Baltimore, and he was traded to Houston last season. So we have Trey Mancini. We have Eric Hosmer. Uh, and then uh, Tucker Barnhart are all guys that are pretty much on very short-term deals. So there's a lot of guys that have incentive to try to do well. And if they do well, the Cubs have talked about adding. 
And if they don't do well, they're going to be good pieces to flip. And, and hopefully that's the last time we're flipping because it's kind of gotten a little bit old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, I really do like what the Cubs have done because it seems like it's a win-win situation. Either all these one-year contracts work out and you guys end up making a postseason push with all of them. And then at the end of the season, all right, it, it was a great run. We'll shed some salary and bid thee farewell. Mm-hmm. Or if things just hit the fan, unfortunately, like you said, you ship them off get some, you know, prospects in return and just hope for the best next season. So I really thought the Cubs had a really solid offseason. I'm still upset about the Dansby Swanson move just because I was hoping the Dodgers were going to make a move in him. I didn't think they were. I thought maybe because of the whole Freddie Freeman connection, maybe that would maybe give them a little edge. But yeah, so far, I mean, again, it's been like, what, two weeks since the season started, but I don't think you could have asked for a better start for him. No, and and one guy I did leave out on purpose one that you know very well, Cody Bellinger in center field. You know, I know he was MVP at one time and he's had some injuries and struggled, but I'll tell you that, you know, for some teams, just certain positions kind of like, you just don't have a lot of high end, like, like historical talent for Cubs center fielder center field has always been a position. You know, if you asked me to name a third baseman, a first baseman, a right fielder, I could boom, boom, boom center field. You really can't think of any great Cubs center fielder. So whether Cody Bellinger ever returns to MVP form, that, that's yet to be seen. But I'll tell you, it's just really nice to see a guy that can play defense, that reads the ball off the bat, good routes, especially Wrigley, which is a really tough ballpark to play in. Yeah, with Cody Bellinger, this is kind of the thing that I was trying to tell Dodgers fans, especially last season, but especially when the Cubs made the move, I was trying to let Cubs fans know. You just kind of have to accept that the MVP Cody Bellinger, you know, is long gone. He's not going to be hitting 40 home runs. He's not going to be one of the, you know, the best power hitters in baseball. But defensively, I mean, you've, again, probably seen it in these first couple weeks. You're getting a guy that is capable of winning a gold glove this season. His speed is still elite. If you could just get average production at the plate, like post a 100 WRC+, plus, get some stolen bases in there, have him draw some walks, maybe cut the strikeouts down a little... That's a player that you're going to be very, very happy about. Again, if you can temper those expectations a little, which, again, I I looked at his numbers, you know, entering today's game. I think he actually hit a home run today if I saw the clip on Twitter, right? So he's hit a couple homers already, but I, I did see the numbers were down a bit. But again, it's been two weeks. So, again, just hope for that league average slash line, and uh, you'll be more than okay with that. And Wrigley is not a fun place to hit. Luckily, we've actually kind of bumped into some warm weather this week, but like that first weekend series against Milwaukee, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, and it's 30 degrees with the wind blowing in. Not a fun place to hit. Now, not only did we pay Cody Bellinger $20 million, but we're also paying your backup center fielder, right fielder, Jason Hayward, to be playing out there. How's he doing for you guys? Yeah, when, when the Dodgers made that move, I remember like back in December, minor league contract, I was thinking – I could have sworn this guy retired. Like, I, I thought he was out of baseball, did not know he was still going for it. Obviously, a minor league deal, you're like, okay, we'll see what happens. And then entering spring training, like in the first week, Dave Roberts said he'd already earned a spot on the roster. And I was kind of like, I mean, he hasn't really proven anything, but the hype he was getting, you know, in the backfields was something. And in the first couple of weeks, he's looked really good. He's looked like the Jason Hayward of old. The last few games has kind of slowed down a bit, but... I don't know if you saw this, but about a week ago, he had a home run that was 113 miles an hour off the bat, which is the second hardest hit ball in the StatCast area uh, for Jason Hayward. I'm sure with the Braves, you know, a decade ago, he hit some balls a little bit harder. But the fact that he's hitting the ball hard defensively, he still has enough juice where he's been making some incredible plays. So, 
Again, I'll believe it if he's able to keep this up for a couple more months if the Dodgers pulled off their magic again, but he's been a pleasant surprise so far, and I'm sure you can attest to this. Everything that's been reported about how good of a guy he is in the clubhouse. I was at Dodger Stadium last week in the clubhouse, and he was a great guy, so having that veteran presence, I think, for a Dodgers team that lost so much of it this past offseason, I think that's going to be the most important thing. Now, if he puts up some solid numbers, I think that's going to be an added bonus, but again, I think having that veteran, having a guy that's, you know, gotten a lot of post season experience in your clubhouse. Uh, I think that's monumental, especially considering how many rookies the Dodgers have coming in this year. Yeah. You know, with, with Jason Hayward, it was a big contract for the Cubs is seven year deal. And he just never even came close to living up to it. I mean, the thing he's most famous for is the rain delay speech in game seven of the world series. But as far as baseball production, never a lot, but I mean, you know, to have, see when you're, if you're talking about a role where he's a backup and he's a guy that can, you know, be a good veteran presence and great leadership, absolutely the right fit. But if he, you know, if you need offensive production from him, if you're relying on that, just wasn't going to happen, but he's still doing great stuff here. He's set up a baseball Academy in the West side of Chicago, still somebody that's very beloved and very respected. And, 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 you know, I'm only going to wish him the West, you know, the best, you know, as long as it's just not against the Cubs, you know, <laughs> but he's, he's a great dude. Completely agree. Hope he uh, hits 500 the rest of the season, but this weekend, if he goes 0 for 6, you're, you're not going to shed a tear about that. Right. And so you do got Clayton Kershaw going and that guy just keeps seeming to always dig into the fountain of youth, always seems to have good stuff. But the guy that scares me the most is the guy that we're facing on Sunday and that's Julio Urias. And I was joking around. I was talking to my partner today. I said, do you remember he was, he pitched in 2016 in the postseason. That's six years ago, and the guy's only 26. I mean, he's just getting better with age. It, it's so weird to think about how he made his debut so long ago, like you said, 2016. And the dude is literally only 26 years old. Like, all these mega free agent uh, starting pitchers, they get these contracts. They always get them when they're like 29, 30, 31 Julio's going to be 27 when he's entering his free agency year. And the crazy thing is, I actually talked about this a few podcasts ago on Inside the Ravine, is the fact that me as a Dodgers fan, I still think he's insanely underrated. Like when I was at the game again last uh, Tuesday night, I think, against the Rockies, he threw, I think, six scoreless innings, struck out six, didn't walk anybody. And it kind of didn't even phase me. It was just like, that's another Julio start. Like, it didn't really wow me. It's just because he's so consistent. He's so good. He's not going to be like a Jacob deGrom who's going to strike out 12 and, you know, walk nobody and take a no-hitter into the 7th or 8th. But Julio, the fact that he's really lived up to the hype because this was a guy when he made his debut at 19 was expected to be this superstar pitcher, had a few injuries that kind of derailed that. But, yeah, what he's done these last couple of seasons, the most consistent left-handed starter, I think, in all of baseball. And, uh, yeah, uh, best of luck uh, on Sunday if that's who the Cubs lineup has to face because he has been so good this year. I think he has a 1.5 ERA through the first three starts. His strikeout rate is like the highest of his career so far. So he's actually somehow getting better. Uh, like again, in year seven or year eight, even though he's only 26. Yeah. He's three and oh, 20, 20 K's in 18 innings. So, I mean, he's just rolling. We got uh, drew smiley going up. Um, he had a really good second half for us last year. He's been a little, we've had a couple guys. We our top two starters have, have been really good so far this season. And that's been uh, Marcus Stroman who pitched today. He got, he got the loss, but he only gave up two runs. And then uh, Justin Steele's a young lefty and you guys are going to see him on Friday. Um, you know, as far as the pitcher that, you know, Noah Syndergaard, I remember him in 2015 in the NLCS against the Mets. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if he still got the gas on the fastball like he used to. 
not quite. Uh, if he tops 94 miles an hour at this rate, that seems like it's it's going to be a success. Um, I like the move when I initially heard it because we saw what the Dodgers did last year with Tyler Anderson and Andrew Heaney. So far, the Mark Pryor magic has yet to work on Noah Syndergaard. Uh, one of our listeners calls it the Mark Pryor wizard magic, but uh, hasn't worked yet. So Noah Syndergaard, he's pretty much relying on all of his off-speed stuff now, which is still, you know, upper 80s, lower 90s, but hasn't hasn't been pretty. He got roughed up in his last outing, was pretty bad during the spring. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to bounce back because he did have a great start, you know, at the beginning of the year against the D-backs. I think he allowed only one run, six innings. So he's a, he's a guy I, I don't know how to read. I don't know, you know, what exactly you're going to get for him. Uh, earlier this spring, he said he wants to hit 100 again. I think Bob Nightingale even reported that he had already touched 97, 98, which, of course, then you see him, he's five miles an hour lower. So I don't know if it's the Nightingale curse on that. But uh, I have hope, I have faith that he's going to turn it around. But yeah, Noah Syndergaard, he, he's a wild card in the Dodgers rotation, I think, currently. Now, you guys got some injuries. Tony Godslin looked really good last year, and obviously Walker Bueller with, you know, with those super, you know, <laughs> That guy's just crazy, but you know how how has the rotation been holding up? I, I know we're facing Michael Grove, I want to say on Saturday, and I'm not too familiar with him. Yeah, the best I can give you on Michael Grove is that he's essentially the Dodgers' number seven starter. So Tony Gonsolin, he got hurt a freak ankle injury in spring. It wasn't even like during the game, and he's still going to miss more time. So once he got hurt, the Dodgers actually were, were going to turn to rookie Ryan Pepio, a guy that we've had on our show and we're really high on. He's a guy that I think is in the top 100 prospects list on pretty much every outlet out there, and literally... On opening day, he was placed on the injured list, I think, with an oblique injury. I want to say maybe a groin injury, but that came out of nowhere because he literally made a spring training start a couple days prior. So, Michael Grove, come on down. Uh, doesn't have much experience at the AAA level. The Dodgers called him up last year from AA, and uh, it's been a rough start to his season so far. So, if you're the Cubs and you're hoping for offense, because like you said, they're having to face Julio, um, Michael Grove might be your best chance at scoring some runs because he's not a strikeout pitcher and he allows a lot of contact. So yeah, uh, take the over in whatever game he's starting against the Cubs. Probably. Well, we got Jamison Tyone on the mound against Michael Grove and uh, he, he's had two starts. One, the first one wasn't very good. The second one, he was the victim of some bad defense. Uh, you know, the Cubs have really kind of made defense the focus. They got a lot of gold glovers this year, but there was a lot of errors and I think that kind of hurt him in general. So this third start, I think is really going to be one that a lot of Cub fans are going to be looking closely at. Obviously, you know, a lot of us have this game with Michael Grove circled as a chance for the Cubs to win one against the Dodgers. So Tyone's going to have to kind of do that. But, you know, he's, he did great work with the Yankees, and the Cubs think that they can unlock a little bit more. Uh, the Cubs have a really good pitching infrastructure, and our pitching coach, Tommy Hadaby, is very well regarded. So hoping to kind of take Jameis and Tyone the next level. But, you know, nobody's hitting the panic button after two starts. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, th that's the thing we have to remind ourselves as baseball fans is that it's so early in the season, and after, again, two starts, after two weeks of hitting, you do want to hit the panic button, whereas, you know, guys are being fan like Dansby Swanson, you know, you're thinking, okay, he's going to be great the rest of the season, but you know for a fact there's going to be like a two-week stretch in August where he's like one for 25. It's just more magnified at the beginning of the season because you're expecting so much. It's like the sky's falling if things are going wrong. So like you said, only two starts. I'm sure all these guys, they're going to be a lot better. At least we can hope, you know, for our sake on our teams, they'll be a little better moving forward. Now, two guys that, of course, have Cub fans, uh, you know, a little bit nervous, gnashing their teeth. Freddie Freeman, 
is just absolutely, you know, I mean, what else can you ask for in a ball player? And then to have to sit there and kind of face Mookie Betts, that's another, that's, that's a, that's a powerful combination. And those guys are off to good starts as usual. Yeah, that's a one-two punch that I just would not want to face if I was an opposing pitcher because Mookie Betts, I mean, he's as consistent as you can get. I mean, he's been fantastic so far for the Dodgers. I mean, it, it kind of seems like, again, Mookie has been so good. He's just flying under the radar this year, it feels. I mean, if you look at his numbers, it'd be a career year for any other player, but for him, it's just another go-around. And Freddie Freeman, I mean, I got to see him a lot when he was with the Braves. You know, you got to see him a decent share but having him in a Dodger uniform, seeing him on a day-to-day basis, I really do think overall as a hitter, he's one of the three to five best pure hitters in all of baseball because what he's able to do with the plate, I mean, it, it is really incredible. Anytime he gets out, it's like, wow, how, how did they manage to do that? Or anytime he strikes out or swings at a pitch outside of the zone, you're like, wow, this pitcher needs to go in the Hall of Fame because they got Freddie Freeman to chase. So both those guys at the top of the Dodgers lineup, they've been so good. They've been so consistent. So uh, I, I'm very happy that they have uh, at least another five years together with those contracts the Dodgers gave them. Unbelievable. And and the Cubs have been giving out some contract extensions lately. Today they extended Ian Happ. And uh, before the season started, Nico Horner. And Nico Horner is a guy that just, it, it's interesting because he doesn't, get a lot of national press, but he's just, he's been a really good leadoff, probably our best leadoff hitter since we had Dexter Fowler in those on that 2015, 2016 teams. And you're going to see him there. They're just a great double play combination. So you're taking a look at the defense up the middle. you got Jan Gomes catching, you got Swanson and Horner up the middle, and then you have Cody Bellinger in center. And so the Cubs are really focusing on run prevention. But one thing I'm really interested in is that, you know, I just always think about all all those West coast ballparks seem to be very, you know, very large outfields. And so Nico is really one of those slappy type hitters. And I think he's going to, he's going to be a pest for you guys. Uh, when, when he gets to, when he gets to uh, Dodger stadium, the Cubs just seem to have so many guys where like the casual baseball fan probably won't, you know, know who they are, but they have so many guys where I'm like, if this all can come together, like with Nico, he's a guy where I had as like a potential all-star candidate if things go well for him this season. And again, if you were to ask the average baseball player, they'd probably not know who that is. So I'm excited to see, you know, this Cubs team where a lot of fans kind of just have written them off because this isn't the Cubs team of six or seven years ago. They're a rebuilding team, but they got some names in that lineup. Um, I don't know how you guys are doing injury wise right now, but I'm assuming everyone should be good to go for this weekend. So I think it's going to be a good one. Well, that should, that, that, that's the interesting piece because we do have one person that's been injured and that's Seiya Suzuki. He has not started so far and that's really kind of been a hole defensively in right field. Cause we really didn't have a backup, uh, outfielder. So Seiya is supposed to come back at some point in time in this Cubs West coast road trip. So he hit a home run today for the I Cubs, which is our triple A affiliate. And the hope is, is that, you know, who knows, it may be he starts one of the Dodgers games. If not, then he'll, he'll meet up with the team with Oakland. But from, from what he said today after the game, looks like all systems go. So I'm really, then the Cubs will be at, at close to full strength as you can get. They got a couple relievers that are nicked up and coming back, but in general, you know, say has been the one injury that's really affected us as opposed to you guys who seem to, you know, that injury to Gavin Lux, I was just, just the weirdest freak injury I ever seen. Yeah, I, I still can't understand it just because a guy's trying to avoid a tag at third base 
and that leg got completely shattered and it's the fact it I mean, it sucks as a whole because you never want to see a guy get hurt. You never want to see a guy crying, you know, getting carted off the field. The next day he was crying in his interview. But it's just the fact that, you know, he's waited his turn for so long. I think he came up and made his debut in 2019. And he's essentially been like the Dodgers top prospect going back to like 2017. But there was just never room for him at shortstop because he was behind Corey Seager. Then he was behind Manny Machado that one year. Then obviously Seager, then Trey Turner. And it's like, wow, you've waited so long. It's finally your chance. And, you know, you tear your ACL and every other thing. So I that's got to take a toll so much on a guy. I, I can't imagine it. And from a baseball perspective, it really hurt the Dodgers big time because now they're having to rely on Miguel Rojas and Chris Taylor where with how they're currently looking at the plate, I feel like if you and I were taking some bats in a live game, we would probably have the same shot they would have having to hit because it's ugly right now. I think Chris Taylor is sitting below 100. Miguel Rojas, he might be hitting slightly above 100. Uh, things have not been great. So that Gavin Lux injury, I think, was probably as costly of an injury as you could have had on the entire team because obviously like, if you were to lose a Freddie Freeman or a Mookie Betts, like, that's a big, big, big hurt. But the Dodgers have someone that they can replace at that position. At shortstop, they have no one in the minors. And again, they have Chris Taylor and Miguel Rojas, who have been awful. So it'll be interesting to see how they're able to uh, fill that void the rest of the season because it's been bad so far. So again, you, you know, the Dodgers didn't make a ton of move in free agency. J.D. Martinez looks a little bit resurgent. And, and the thing I think about with J.D. Martinez is that if he has to be your number one or two option, that's not good. But if you're telling me he's your number three, four hitter, that's more where he is in his career, so he kind of fits in with the Dodgers really nice. I've always been a fan of J.D. Martinez. I just knew he would never become a Dodger because, one, of the whole DH rule. But even then, once the NL adopted the DH, the Dodgers were against having an everyday DH. They wanted to rotate guys. They wanted to shuffle guys. So when I saw that they signed him, I was, like, blown away. I was like, wow, we're just going against everything we've been saying for the last couple of years. But I think you said it perfectly. If J.D. Martinez is your, like, number one hitter, I mean, I'm sure there are far worse options out there for some bottom barrel teams, but ideally you would want someone else. If he's your number three or number four hitter, I think that's fantastic. And so far this season, I think, you know, last I heard he was leading the National League in extra base hits. He's looking really solid at the plate. So, so far it's been a really, really good move by the Dodgers. And again, one year, I think for 10 million or something like that, uh, really can't complain because it's, it's another much needed bat in the Dodgers lineup. Well, it's going to be a fun one for us. It's going to be some late nights and a lot of coffee for you guys. You know, we have a, we have a strong contingent of Cub fans that are out in Hollywood that always liked. I know Bob Newhart's always been out there. Bonnie Hunt, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. We got we got a lot of Chicago-based guys out there who really enjoy going. I know they rent a, a box at, at Dodger Stadium. I've never been there. It's on my bucket list to get out get out and see the park. But I, I'm I'm looking forward and. Like I said, I just want the Cubs to be able to compete really well and take a couple games from the Dodgers after last year's disaster. I, like I said at the beginning of the show, I think you can only go up from here. You would you would think that one game. I mean, if you win one game, that's already a much better much better season than the year prior. So I'm hoping for a competitive series. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And again, Cody Bellinger, that's going to be a fun, warm welcome for Dodger fans. And another one as well. Edwin Rios makes his uh, return to Dodger Stadium as well, so there's going to be a couple guys that uh, are going to get warm standing ovations from Dodgers fans. You know, he hasn't gotten a lot of at-bats yet. He has, he does have a home run, two-run blast, but, man, that kid has some pop. I saw him in spring training, and he was hitting him over the berm, so that, that was fun to watch. It, 
I am still upset that the Dodgers did not bring him back. I will say for Cubs fans, be patient because Edwin Rios, I don't know if this number is still true, but at the time of, uh, you know, when he got hurt last year with the Dodgers, I believe he had like either the highest home run rate in baseball history, like home runs per at bat, or it was just slightly behind Babe Ruth. <laughs> this guy can hit homers like no one I've seen before. The issue is he's just, he gets hurt a lot and his strikeout rate is really high. But even then, like what I'm looking at his numbers this season, only eight at bats. He's one for eight, but he has an OPS plus of 110. So he's going to be a great player if he's able to stay healthy. And again, there might be 10 to 15 homers this year where you sit back and go, yeah, that thing uh, definitely landed on the street because that's not in the stadium. Out of curiosity, how is he on defense? Because again, I think he's pretty much DH for most of, the, most of his time here. So that's pretty much, I think, the reason why the Dodgers didn't bring him back was because defensively he wasn't great. He was also behind Justin Turner at third base and then Freddie Freeman at first base. So I don't know if they have him playing anywhere other than third and first. But yeah, DH seems like the move just because, again, defensively, let's just say there are better options out there than Edwin Rios. Well, Blake, I really appreciate you, you know, coming on here and talking some Dodgers with me. And and I hope you got a little bit of info on the Cubs, some intel that you can pass along to your uh, the readers of your, your sub stack. And, uh, you know, if you ever come out to Wrigley, hit me up, man. And we'll, I'll show you a good time around here. I, I definitely will. Last time I was at Wrigley was about 15 years ago before all these renovations. So I need to make it back. I need to catch another game there. And I also don't really remember much of it. I think I was in one of those spots where you're sitting like behind a pole and you can't really <laughs> see a whole lot. So yeah, definitely need to come back. And yeah, I'm hoping it's a fun series this weekend. I'm hope, hoping it's a competitive series. And like for your sake, Maybe not this series, but I hope the Cubs just can get at least one. Get at least one and build some momentum uh, towards next season. Then maybe in 2024, they can get two wins and just uh, keep building momentum from there. Maybe we have some repeats of 2016, 2017. What do you think, Blake? Well, hey, I'm. if it's the 2017 outcome, sign me up. Sign me up. But the, I'll, I'll take I will the 2016 that, one. <laughs> I will say the 2016 outcome, given the circumstances, even looking back at it, you can't be too upset because of what happened. You know, it's like, okay, they're doing something that pretty much every fan has never actually witnessed in person. So we'll allow it. We'll, we'll let this one slide. But yeah, give me the 2017 version uh, if that's my preference. Sounds good, Blake. Thank you so much for jumping on and we'll talk to you later, bud. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season two. It's episode 27. Breaking news right before we had the Cubs third game against the Mariners. Ian Happ was extended. Crowley, great interview uh, previewing the Dodgers series. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's going to be a tough one. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens here. But uh, when we take a look at the standings, you know, you're not going to be too upset about this as a Cub fan. The Cubs are six and five. They're two games back. Milwaukee's still at first, then comes Pittsburgh at seven and five, Cincinnati four and six, and St. Louis four and seven. So some of those teams still have to play their games tonight. Uh, so that'll be, um, you know, hopefully the Cubs can kind of have a, have a good series. Anytime the, I see St. Louis at the bottom, Crowley, I'm going to be happy. Oh, absolutely. When we look at the injury slash roster report, Kyle Hendricks will throw a two inning live BP today. So every day getting a little bit closer Seiya Suzuki will start again tonight. He played last night for seven innings and went 0 for 4. He's 2 for 9 in the three games he has played. According to David Ross, best case scenario is Seiya rejoins the team at some point on this West Coast trip to L.A. and Oakland. Um, Brandon Hughes, left-hander that we've been talking about, he pitched two-thirds of an inning. He struggled. He gave up four hits and three runs with a walk. 
no strikeouts. He gave up a home run, but good to see that he's, he's throwing, he's in games, and hopefully to the Cubs sooner rather than later. You have Cody Hewer through one inning of live BP as he makes his way back from Tommy John surgery. We talked about Javier Saad being sent to AAA, option to AAA, and Ross said that you know he's they're going to stretch out Javier Saad as a potential starter, but he can also be a bullpen option too if they need. Again, it would be a perfect time to get a guy like Assad up after using all those pitchers. Granted that he can get some guys out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So the Cubs get ready to take their first West Coast road trip. The Dodgers have started a little slow and are 6-6 six and six so far this season, tied for third place in the NL West. They're finishing up a series with San Francisco tonight with Clayton Kershaw on the mound. That series is tied at one. The Cubs played the Dodgers seven times in 2022, and Dustin, they lost all seven games, so you can only go up, right? You can only go up, and you won't have to face Kershaw. So there you go. Two things going for the Cubs. The Cubs took two out of three against the Mariners, so looking at the matchups on Friday, Justin Steele gets the start. He's 1-0 with a .75 ERA. He's pitched 12 innings with 11 strikeouts. In his last start against the Rangers, he pitched six innings, gave up four hits, one runs, but also had four walks and only three Ks. So he had a seven-start streak of five strikeouts or more in an outing snapped. Even though the results have been good, Dustin, I feel like we haven't seen the best of Justin Steele just yet, and I think this Dodger lineup will be a good test. Very good test. Uh, I'm hoping to stay up late Friday night and uh, catch all of this one. Oh, yeah. It's those great late-night West Coast games. Well, LA you will... get up at 2.30 in the morning on Friday, it'll be <laughs> tough to stay up until midnight, but whatever. Well, you know, you get Saturday off, right? Saturday it... off, yeah. Oh, yeah. Saturday, so, Sunday so, so, you got, so Thursday they're off, so Friday is the game, so you can stay up late Friday and you don't get, get up Saturday morning. That's right. So the, uh, the LA will counter with former Met – Thor, so Noah Syndergaard. Syndergaard is 1-0 with a 6.30 ERA and two starts, pitching 10 innings with 8 Ks. In his last start against the Diamondbacks, he went four innings pitch and gave up eight hits on six runs with two Ks. Syndergaard is not the cut-up Thor that you saw in the early Marvel movies. He is more like the overweight, slothy uh, Thor <laughs> that you saw in the uh, Infinity Endgames. Uh, he's, he's lost a little velocity on his fastball. He's not the same pitcher that I remember looking at 2015 when the Cubs were in the NLCS and got dominated by that Mets pitching staff. So I like that matchup right there. Hopefully things go well. Saturday we'll see Jamison Tyone make his third start of the year. He's 0-2 with a 7 ERA, pitching nine innings with nine Ks. His first start against the Brewers was not great, but I thought he looked better against the Rangers, but was some vi uh, victim of some bad defense that hurt him. If you remember, there were errors by Magical and Hosmer, as well as a ball that was misplayed in right field by Mancini. I think it made the numbers look a lot worse than the performance actually was. He had seven strikeouts in five innings. The Dodgers, on the other hand, they have some injuries in their starting pitching. You're going to see Michael Grove for the Dodgers. The Cubs have never faced him before. He's made six starts for the Dodgers last year. This year, is, he's 0-1. He faced the uh, he he did okay in his first start against the Rockies, but got pounded by the Diamondbacks in his last start, going 3.1 innings, giving up nine runs on 12 hits with one walk and four Ks. And then we get to the finale where Drew Smiley takes the ball for the Cubs. He's 0-1 with a 6.52 ERA and two starts, going 9.2 innings pitch with 10 Ks. Like Talion, he had an awful bad start, giving up six runs against the Reds, but he bounced back nicely versus the Mariners, going five innings and only giving up one run. He was in line for the win before Fulmer blew the save in the ninth. So this one's going to be tough because the Dodgers are going to be handing their ball to one of their best pitchers on their staff, and that's Julio Urias. Hard to believe, Dustin, that Urias is only 26 years old. 
I remember him pitching against the Cubs in 2016 on their World Series run in the NLCS. So, you know, he was only 20 years old when that happened. Yeah, he's awfully good. There's no doubt about that. And uh, he's got a, a nice uh, 3-0 start, 1-5-0 ERA, pitching 18 innings, 20 Ks. And uh, against the Giants, pitched six innings, gave up four hits, one earned, two walks, and 8 Ks. So the Cubs will have to uh, have some good approaches uh, when they go up to bat against this guy. Crawley, I want to go back to game two, and I think this is a really important outing for Jamison Tyone. Yeah, you you would like him to have a good start, and I, I feel, like I said, I, I felt like the first one was bad, and I think the first one was on him. I think the second one, he looked a lot better. Just, you know, bad defense for one inning really kind of hurt him. And so, you know, I, I think he's going to be okay, and I'm, I'm kind of actually glad that he's, you know, we'll, we'll see what he does, but I'm not... I, you know, it, it's the first month of the season and you just don't want to get too jumpy on any of these guys right away. Sometimes some guys take a little bit while to get locked in. Others just come out of the gate. You know, you've seen, you've seen uh, Marcus come out of the gate really good uh, last year. He didn't. So I, I got a feeling that Jamison is, is going to be a really good addition to this staff. And I'm not, I mean, the Dodgers staff is, is a really tough one. So the, 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 they're hitters. So let's see what he can do, but you know, not, not super overly concerned on this one game. All right, Crowley, as we continue to preview the uh, upcoming series against the Dodgers, let's talk uh, who's hot and who is not hot. All righty, let's go with hot. And there, there is, the hottest Cub in the last week has been Nico Horner, 9 for 21 with one double and three RBIs. Trey Mancini is 7 for 21 with one homer. He had his first homer the other day and four RBIs. Not Ian Happ, four for his last 19. So hopefully with this contract all done, he can kind of get a little bit more loose. And then Patrick Wisdom is two for his last 16. Not good enough. Not nope. good enough. So uh, I agree with your hots and nots. There's no, the, uh, the numbers tell the stories. How about the Dodgers? Who's doing well for them? Well, Freddie Freeman is always doing well for them, aren't isn't he? So he's 10 for 27 with three doubles and a home run. J.D. Martinez is getting a little bit of a resurgence. He struggled in Boston the last few years. He's doing well in, in, out in L.A., out in La La Land. Seven for 22 with four doubles, a triple, and five RBIs. But on the not side, Max Muncy is four for 17, but two home runs and nine RBIs. So try not to put anyone in front of Max Muncy because he uh, he can still uh, hit them. All right, Crowley, prediction time. Three games against the Dodgers. They should all be tough. I'll go first this time. Uh, I'm going to go uh, one out of three. Don't get swept. And uh, I'm predicting that uh, Friday is the game they're going to win. Yeah, I, I, I like I like that. I'm going to go a little bit more optimistic just because the Cubs just had such a good homestand. I know they're playing away in Dodger Stadium, and, and the West Coast thing is always tough as a good Dodgers team. I, I, I got a feeling I don't, I don't have a lot of stock in the, uh, in the Cubs beating Urias, but I do feel like, you know, with, with Tyone and with um, Steele, the Cubs have a chance to take those two games. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to will it into existence. All right, Crowley. That's a wrap. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope everybody listening gets a great weekend. Enjoy the fact that the Cubs have won two series in a row and are heading out west. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W on Facebook, Fly the W670. Instagram, you can email us, flythew670gmail.com. And now you can also watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Crowley, have a great weekend, and we will uh, connect either on Sunday or Monday. Yep, get the get the coffee pots ready, Cubs fans. West Coast road trip. Go Cubs! It's all over.